1: this over and over and over. One of the phrases that you're going to see all throughout Ezekiel when speaking about the judgment of God coming upon the people. God's judgment is going to come and we see this little phrase, then you shall know that I am the Lord. When? When they receive his blessing? No. When they receive his his comfort and his protection? No. He says, the only time you're going to realize that I'm the Lord is when my punishment comes upon you. Because that's going to get your attention. That's going to wake you up from your slumber.
0: If you look at the world around you, there are many things that point towards God's goodness and authority. From His provision of your daily bread, to the blessings that surround you in the form of friends, family, and earthly possessions, His presence in your life is obvious if your eyes are open. Yet, as Pastor David points out in today's message, too often, you're like the Israelites. And the only time you really see God is when you face the consequences of your rebellion and experience His wrath. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ezekiel chapter 3 as he continues his message, Coming Destruction, Promised Restoration.
1: As soon as you read this, you've got to be reminded of going over to the book of Revelation and remember John was given a scroll and the angel told him to eat that scroll and it said that when he took that scroll in it was sweetness but then it was bitterness in his belly. This doesn't say anything about what happened to the belly, but I think about what 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 is he eating? He's eating the word of God. He's he's consuming the word of God. It's going to be literally a part of him. And how important the word of God needs to be a part of our life. Not just something that, that's over here, and yes, I'm, I'm acquainted with it, I'm uh, semi-familiar with it, but when it is really a part of our life, that's when God can use us, and he can use us, again, to, to the greatest uh, benefit for his kingdom's work. Beloved, if we're not familiar with the word, if we're not, not not only just acquainted, but to the point that the word is literally a part of us, we're a vessel that, that's only partially usable. The more we have the word in our hearts, in our minds, as part of who we are, the greater use will be for the kingdom of God. Again, the Holy Spirit can, man, bring back to mind those verses that we've studied, that that we've devoured, that we've eaten, that we've digested into our own system. But if we're not familiar with it, we're not gonna be as usable for the kingdom. So he eats the scroll, and and that's, again, the, the direction that he goes. Giving him the opportunity, God is giving him the opportunity here to be used, through his word. Now, the people who were left in Jerusalem after that first and that second exile, that first and second captivity, they pretty much felt that they, they, they were much better off being there in Jerusalem than their brothers who had been taken into captivity there in Babylon. At least that's what they thought. But the problem was those that were in Babylon, for the most part, they were doing pretty good. While they were in Babylon, like I said, they had their own colony. Things were, again, they were able to take care of things. If you look at the history of that, there was many of them that bought houses while they were there. They were raising their families while they were there. Uh, Again, not too bad. But in Jerusalem, they began, again, being a city that was sieged about surrounded about by the Babylonians. Starvation started coming in. Depression started coming in. There was no freedom at all. They were captive in their own freedoms. Think about that for a moment. Captive within their own freedoms. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people even today Oh, I'm free, I can go do this, and I can go do this. You know, God, uh, I, I don't worry about being under God's control. I'm under my control. I'm a free individual. And when in reality, no, they're, 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 they're captive in their own freedoms. There's no, there's no true freedom in that because they're bound by the desires of their own flesh, the pull of the world, the deceitfulness of the enemy. They're bound by those things rather than truly being free in Christ. Those that were in Jerusalem thought everything was good, everything was doing well. They thought that because they were part of the Hebrew children that God was going to just continually protect them. Hey, he's, he's seen us through these two attacks. Surely he'll see us through all of them. Their attitude was that because they were the anointed of God that they'd never see destruction Well, Ezekiel had the job of going up and trying to wake them up to be able to understand that God would not be mocked, that whatever a man sowed, that is what he's going to reap. And so that was Ezekiel's call. Ezekiel's message was to confirm the fact that even though they felt that they were safe at their current time, destruction and desolation were going to come. Jerusalem was gonna to be totally destroyed and those that were there were either going to be killed or taken into captivity themselves. In chapter four, the Lord begins to instruct Ezekiel on some really strange symbolic actions that he's going to do. He's going to be, again, the object lesson. Uh, those of you that, that are teachers, whether be a Sunday school teacher or a, a school teacher or a homeschool teacher, you know that object lessons, children usually, you, know, you can catch that a whole lot better when there's an object lesson. Well, Ezekiel himself became the object lesson in some of these. In chapter four, verses one to three, he was to draw on a piece of tile a picture of Jerusalem, set it up and, and put a little siege. He's, he was to make a little model of like Jerusalem with a siege all around it with the ramps going up. And again, they were supposed to be see see that again as uh, again, what was going to happen to them. They were He was to put it in a prominent place that uh, the people there could see what was going on. In verses uh, four through eight, here was a really good one. Again, part of the call of ministry, uh, fortunately not for me, but it was for Ezekiel. He was supposed to lay on his left side for a period of time each day for over a year. 390 days, as a matter of fact. He had to lay on his left side, and then after he finished that, he had to flip over, go to his right side, and do that for 40 more days. Now, Ezekiel, uh, again, It's explained that for each day he laid on his left side, northern Israel would be in captivity for one year. And for each day he laid on his right side, the southern kingdom, Judah, would spend a year in captivity. Now verses 9 through 7, this whole thing starts getting even weirder. He was to make for himself this cake, these cakes to eat of these various grains. He had to measure them out precisely as well as he had to ration them off every day and rationing off his water each day. The cakes, God said, I want you to take these cakes, put them together with all these grains, and then I want you to take human excrement and use that as the fuel for your fire to bake these little cakes. Uh, how many of you feel called to ministry? Anybody yet okay uh, he, and he he cried out to God, he said lord please i, I i've never profaned myself i've never done, you know eaten anything detestable i I've, I've never gone away from my kosher diet. He just pleaded with the Lord, and so uh the Lord relented and allowed him to use cow dung instead so uh it, it was still the the call, but again he was it was that object lesson to Israel, again, of, of the filth that they have taken into themselves, that they were going to be at a point of, of literal destitution and, and, and literally starvation there in Jerusalem. Then we get to chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, he cuts off uh, his hair. Dividing it into three parts, that symbolizes the northern Israel, the Judeans left in Jerusalem, and those that are in captivity in Babylon. Some of his hair he threw into the wind. Some of it he struck with a sword. Other uh, portions of it he threw into the fire. Uh, He goes on through this whole chapter, through this whole time. He has to ration out his food. He's carrying furniture out of his house again, like the like the exiles. As a picture of the exiles, he did uh, various other things again to represent the disaster that was gonna overtake the city of Jerusalem. Now, chapter six and seven, they speak directly of that judgment that was coming upon the people of Israel because of their idolatry. They had gotten so involved with the pagan gods that were around. It's absolutely amazing how far they had gotten from the true worship of Yahweh, the Lord God, Jehovah, the one true God, the God of Israel. God had blessed them and covered them, provided for them, conquered their enemies for them, given them the land, all of these things. And the more comfortable they got, the further they got from true worship. They began worshiping the idols of the countries and the people that surrounded them. Beloved, if that's not a story, and if that's not a picture of our United States, I don't know what is. The more comfortable We've become the less dependent we become upon God, and the more dependent we've become upon the things of this world, and our nation by and large is literally turned our backs on God. And I see this over and over and over. One of the phrases that you're going to see all throughout Ezekiel when speaking about the judgment of God coming upon the people, God's judgment is going to come. And we see this little phrase, then you shall know that I am the Lord. When? When they receive his blessing? No. When they receive his his comfort and his protection? No. He says, The only time you're gonna realize that I'm the Lord is when my punishment comes upon you because that's gonna get your attention. That's gonna wake you up from your slumber. And we see this over and over. Ezekiel believes that God rules supreme over all the nations of the earth. Any violation of his commands, again, without an appropriate punishment, would actually be a slam against the honor and the holiness of God Almighty. And again, we we see these are serious matters. And we, we look at these things and how Ezekiel writes of them and the punishment that God is going to give not only to Israel, but also to the nations and then it follows up so many times, then you will know that I am the Lord. Chapter six and seven makes it so clear that God wasn't punishing them just to punish them, but also to make himself known to them in such a real way. Even with all the massive destruction and death, yet in the midst of that, God is still going to promise that a remnant of them will would survive in the midst of it. Look, if you would, in, uh, I believe it's uh, chapter, uh, let's see, chapter, I lost my place. Uh, Chapter six, verse eight. In fact, uh, back up to verse seven. Chapter six, verse seven. The slain shall fall in your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. And then verse eight. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you're scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart that was de- which has departed from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations, and they shall know that I am the Lord, and I have not said in vain that I would bring their calamity upon them. So what God is saying is, some are going to come to the realization Man, we, we have blown it big time. There's gonna be sorrow, there's gonna be repentance, godly sorrow within their hearts and they're gonna be turning back to him. That phrase, then you shall know uh, or they shall know that I am the Lord, is actually mentioned over 60 times in that section in Ezekiel from chapter six to chapter 39. God is doing all of this. Why? Just simply out of his anger and out of his frustration? No, to simply once again make himself known to his people and to the world. Because man tries to say, I don't want to know God. I don't want to hear about God. Don't come talking to me about I'm trying to ignore him. Because if there really is a God, then I'm responsible to him. And the Lord is saying, oh, no you will know, just as the word says, at the the end of days, not some knees will bow, but every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Even those that have rejected him all of their lives, that have denied his existence, all of their lives, there will come a time that even those who are facing the very wrath of God will come to understand, no, he is the Lord. The unfortunate thing by that time, it's too late for them. Chapters eight through seven, the Lord gives Ezekiel a vision of the temple, all of the wickedness that that's taken place there. The elders uh, of the temple there worshiping these pagan deities, and it's here that we see the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. Uh, look with me, real quick, uh, in chapter nine, and I'm just going to touch on a few verses here. Just. Remember, the glory of the Lord was there in the holy of holies, that holy place. The glory of the Lord was there so that Israel knew God's blessing upon them. But what is happening here in Ezekiel, he's writing that the glory of the Lord is leaving that temple. Surprised he hasn't left prior to that. But look in chapter nine, look at verse three. The glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. So he's left the Holy of Holies where the cherub and the Ark of the Covenant were. He's left there. Now he's gone to the threshold, to the entrance of the temple, and the glory of the Lord is there. Now look in chapter 10, down at verse four. Then the the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple, And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. He's moved from the threshold now into the court of the temple area. Look in chapter 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was above him. They're actually far out in the courtyard now at the eastern gate, moving further and further away from the Holy of Holies. Now look at chapter 11, down in verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city... And stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city, completely has left the temple, completely left the city of Jerusalem. Now he's outside of Jerusalem. So God's blessing, God's protection, God's glory is completely now away from the temple, away from the city. And one of the things... Even when they return from exile uh, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they begin to rebuild the city, they begin to rebuild the temple. We never, we never read of the glory of the Lord coming back into the temple. We never do. What has taken place is, again, the idolatry, the, the rejection of God in so many ways has literally driven the glory out. Oh, it'll return one day but it returns when Jesus Christ comes to take his rightful place. I wanna hurry through here Real quick, there is a word of hope for them. Again, uh, we talked about the remnant back uh, uh, earlier, I believe it was in chapter six. Um, Chapter 11 gives a word of hope that God's gonna gather the people. Verse 17, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries from which you've scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. But again, this is after the time of punishment. This is after the time that God gets their attention chapters 12 through 14 they continue to deal with the judgment of israel chapters 25 to 32 they deals with the pagan nations that surround israel uh, in dealing with those again we see that god's hand on these pagan nations you might say yeah but they weren't they weren't the people of god are they being yes god is the god for all of his creation and all men are again subject to the correction, direction, and the lordship of Almighty God. Whether they recognize him or not, he is not God just of the Jews. He's not God just of the Christians. He is God over all of his creation. And so once again, every... Man will stand. Every woman will stand before him at that day, and that's exactly what verse or chapters twenty-five to thirty-two deal with. We see again, God is going to punish uh, the Israelites in order to teach them, but he and, and to bring them to them back to him. But as far as these foreign nations, it says that the the punishment. Yeah, they'll know that I'm the Lord, but it doesn't speak anything of those foreign nations coming back again. Through that whole charge, God is working. Uh, In chapter 37, chapter 37, the vision of the dry bones. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Again, here, Ezekiel, uh, in, in this vision, he sees the complete restoration of the house of Israel. God's gonna restore them and build them back. Um, but beloved, this 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 is not going to happen after the time of the punishment there in Babylon. This final restoration, I believe is in the final, it's in the final millennium millennial reign. Israelites, again, returning to their own land, rebuilding the kingdom and and, and, re, and, and restoring all of the peace and the security. Uh, all you have to do, look at chapter 37. We can't read it all, but look down in verse 21. I said to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side, bring them into their own land and will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them all and they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with detestable things, nor with any transgressions, and on and on. He goes, look at verse 24, David, my servant, shall be a be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Down uh, verse 25, then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, their children's children, forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Beloved, this hasn't taken place yet. That didn't take place with their coming again. It didn't take place in 1948 when they became a nation again. It's yet to take place, and it will not take place until the son of David, Jesus himself, comes and reigns over them. Chapters 38 and 39, again, that final destruction, the Gog and Magog and all the armies. We can see so much of this coming into play even now. The uh, last chapters of Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 48, again, it, it speaks about that restored state uh, with the new Jerusalem and the new temple. And again, that has not happened yet. It is yet to happen. There are many people that are speaking about the new temple even now, and they're wondering, how in the world can we build a new temple while the Muslims are on the Temple Mount? Have you ever thought about the possibilities that maybe the temple actually was not located on the Temple Mount?
0: That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future. And the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there, too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com
0: Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and
1: more